I'm about to show you the power of emotional attachment. This ornament means a lot to me. So the petals in here are from the flowers at my wedding. It's been in my house ever since. I can feel its connection to my heart. And because of the spiritual practice that I've been doing, and because we have this connection, could this connection manifest physically? Anything else that's round will, of course, just roll right down. But with this, watch what happens. Of course it rolls down, as gravity. It doesn't matter how much I love it. And this same dynamic between what's meaningful and what just sort of happens plays out in the spiritual meaning of names. Just like what you care about doesn't necessarily dictate how something moves, who you are as a person or what your spirit is like, it doesn't necessarily determine what name you ended up with, right? Our names are often selected relatively arbitrarily, as by history or by what our parents like the sound of or by what names we're in when we were born. But I mean, they're how we identify ourselves. They're how people know us. Doesn't there have to be some meaning there? And if there's not the meaning we're looking for in our earthly name, is there another name, a spiritual name that truly fully describes the essence of who we are? Is there a way to put the pure idea of you into a name? And what would that name be? And who would give you that name? And if names are just descriptors, why is naming such a high profile activity in sacred texts? Why did Abram's name need to change to Abraham? And why is there so much commotion around the name of God? It's all connected and we're gonna look into all of it right now. Hey everybody, welcome to Sweden Morgan Life. Today we're going to be talking about the spiritual meaning of names. My name is Curtis Childs and I'll be your host. Here's Dr. Jonathan Rose. Hey everybody. Thanks so much for joining us and take a look at that. We've got some names up oh, here yes, already. We do. And if we're doing a show about the spiritual meaning of names, we got to be able to pick some meaning at least well out of these ones. Here, I guess. So do these names mean anything? Hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, technically, my name, and I didn't even really realize this until we were doing this show. Really? Uh, at least the, like, the French origin of it is from an old French term for courteous, courteous. Uh-huh. Uh, what about you? Yes. Mine's from Hebrew. It's a biblical name. Yeah. And Nathan means a gift. And Yo means Yah, like Yahweh, mm -hmm. uh, gift of Yahweh or Jehovah. Uh, so that's what it means. <laughs> Look who thinks he's God's gift. <laughs> <laughs> so... That right there, we've got these <laughs> names, but does that doesn't necessarily mean I'm courteous. I mean, you know me. I'm no, not necessarily. Right. Um, and as we were talking over this show with our staff, you know, Stuart Farmer, right, our technical director. Oh, right. He's like, wait, I'm a farmer, but I kill plants <laughs> when, I do, when he tries to keep them alive. Anything green, like, yeah. Right. That's, just, that's just not, and maybe we're exaggerating a bit, but, but it doesn't mean that he's a farmer. Yeah, right. And so, and how much could your name have influenced you if you didn't even know what the meaning was or the origin or something? Exactly, like exactly. But, but I have another question. What was going on with that ball rolling thing at the beginning there? Well, I hope we could make a connection here to, to what we're doing here because what that was trying to show is that you've got sort of two worlds inside yourself. There's the world of meaning 
what, what, right. what is important to you, yes. what feels right and wrong, what you care about. And then there's the external world, the, like the physical world, the world of events that, that aren't attached to it. And this was trying to show that no matter how much I care about a particular object, mm. it doesn't affect gravity at all. Gravity no. does not care. Gravity does not care. Yeah. You could hate it, you could love it, it would have exactly it's, the same effect. It's going to roll right down. Uh, and I think it's that same kind of division of there's external sort of arbitrary worldly reasons why we end up with the names we end up with. So the names are not necessarily going to line up with our, the, who we are in our sense of meaning. Right? Yeah, they're not necessarily going to be fraught with meaning or you feel like you're just destined to be this kind of person because that's the name that your parents gave you. Or, yes, you know. so there is a dichotomy there. Yeah, now, so what, what does Swedenborg say about physical names? Does he have anything to say okay, about that? Okay, so, so the problem is he doesn't really have, because of those aforementioned reasons, he can't like, lay out a system where if you're named Jane, this is what that says about your personality yeah, and that kind of right, thing. Right. However, I feel like we still got to do a show about it because Swedenborg has everything to say about our search for meaning in names. That we're always looking for, what, what, what does it mean, what does your name mean, why were you named this? Because Swedenborg says in the afterlife, the spiritual names that we all come into, those names are pure meaning. He seems pretty obsessed with names. I mean, he comes to it a lot, right. doesn't he? And, and as you say, pure meaning, like your name in the spiritual world actually embodies in every conceivable way exactly who you are. And that's just not here. You know, sometimes you meet somebody and think, I didn't think... He was a Derek, really, like, yeah. like you know, yep. seemed more like a Bill or something. <laughs> exactly. And, and here in Western culture, what we generally name based on sound or preference. That wasn't always the case. The farther back you go in history, the more names were descriptive, and the farther outside you go from Western culture. It's um, true. There was yeah, yeah, we've got a particularly meaningless name. Like, it's more <laughs> no about offense. the sound, yeah. or, or, or it's, you know, you're just named for somebody else who you yeah. love or was famous or something, right. and, and regardless of what that name actually meant. But throughout the rest of, of history and cultures, there is kind of this tendency towards naming things for what they are. And we do this with new things that come along, like with inventions. For example, this appliance here, we call it a dishwasher, that's Which right. is exactly yeah. what it is. And it tells you exactly what it is. And that's just what, what it, it does. Yeah. What it does, because it is a metal and tubes, but what it does. What it does is that it is a dish, its function is that it's a dishwasher. And people, you know, throughout history have sort of named people based on what they do. And Swedenborg learned that this actually reflects a very ancient tradition on this planet. He says that in regard to the idea that naming things means recognizing their nature, which that's the spiritual meaning of, of naming, uh -huh. it needs to be realized that the ancients took a name to mean simply the essence of a thing. And seeing something and naming it to mean recognizing its nature. And I feel like we, you know, because we want to know when we hear a new name, don't we sometimes say, well, what does that mean? Yeah. Like there's still something in our spirit that feels like it should mean something. That name should mean something. Yeah. This was due to the fact that they gave their daughters and sons names with a relevant meaning. Every name had a unique element that indicated where people were from and what they were like. Mm. Since names then told where people were from and what they were like, that is exactly what naming something meant to those ancient people. Ah, so even like the phrase naming has that meaning to them. Recognizing that, that quality. Such a manner of speaking was familiar to them, and anyone who fails to understand it will be puzzled by the symbolism. Yes. And, yeah. and particularly the symbolism that comes out when you start looking at the spiritual side of names. And Swedenborg said that all these, these ancient practices and our search for the meaning in names come from the fact that in the spiritual world, 
names are used in, in inextricably with meaning. Yes, names embody meaning, reflect meaning, and that's right. And we're going to take a look at just how that works now. So spiritual names are full of significance, and Swedenborg learned a lot about what that significance was and how it comes to be. But if we're going to look at names, let's first step back a level and just take a look at the nature of spiritual words in general. Words and writings in heaven are of such a nature that a single word can comprehend many such secrets as are in the inmost heaven, for they are enwrapped in that word by vowels as regards the sound and by consonants as regards the sense. Sometimes also the letters of the words are written by curvatures, which also contain secrets of heaven. So this number reminds me of the sacred language of Sanskrit. And you might be familiar with the sound om, which is a word that is called or considered the unstruck sound. Because when you say om, the resonance starts at the very back of your throat and it moves through all the parts of your mouth until it gets to the front where your lips come together. And so in the traditions that think of om as this unstruck sound, it's because all the letters of Sanskrit are formed out of that sound from some part of your mouth. And so they actually call the letters of the Sanskrit alphabet the matrikas, or divine mothers. And so all the words in Sanskrit come from these um, letters of the Sanskrit alphabet, which all come from the sound om. And so what's interesting is that the Sanskrit alphabet, the vowels themselves, or the entire alphabet, is considered a sacred chant. So om itself is a chant, but then all of its derivative sounds and letters are also sacred. I love the idea of a sacred language and why would Sanskrit be sacred and is part of it the way that it functions if you think about Om encapsulating within it many different things is that approaching the way that the spiritual language functions Swedenborg writes I talked with him in the spiritual language so this is Swedenborg talking to an angel or a spirit I talked with him in the spiritual language of representatives which conveys one's meaning fully and many things in a moment so he's saying some kind of ohm to this guy that you can sort of multitask in what you're accomplishing when you communicate with somebody spiritually because that that language is more effective more dense something like that if we've got that for spiritual language, that words can communicate this full completeness of meaning, names can actually do the same thing too. Swedenborg writes, The nature of names in the spiritual world makes it clear that someone's name does not mean her, her or his name alone, but also her or his full nature. So a name is sort of the ohm of you. That it's not just, here's a couple of sounds that are associated with you on your birth certificate. I am saying everything about you when I say your name. And sometimes this, the effect of saying a spiritual name is really tangible and, and really visual in how it affects somebody spiritually. So, Swedenborg writes, when anyone is named or a name is mentioned, an idea of the person's character springs to mind. A picture of everything that belongs to, exists with, or resides in the person. So you can say, let's say we're talking about Susie or whatever her spiritual name is. When I say, start to talk about her, 
the name doesn't just prompt, uh, oh yeah, that jogs the memory and it's got the right sounds. This is ex an expression of, I like these three categories Swedenborg had of everything that belongs to her, and this would not just be objects, of course, but characteristics and, and talents or whatever that is, exists with the things she's, she's um, participating in or resides within. And this could be things in the depths of a person that maybe they don't even, aren't even aware of existing or that you have only somebody else could get that kind of insight into it. All this stuff, this entire complete picture of the person can come to mind just by hearing this perfectly suited spiritual name. We've established that you've got a spiritual name that by itself can call to mind the whole unique essence of a particular person. But to know why spiritual names could be so precise in the first place, you've got to look at the origin and nature of spiritual language. And we're going to start with spiritual letters. This naming is affected by spiritual language, which is such that it can give a name to everything because there each letter signifies one thing. So if you look at the letters in, let's say, the English language, they may have a particular pronunciation sound that they signify, but they don't have any intrinsic meaning. Any combination of letters is just like a blank canvas of sound. K, A, T. And then we take that sound and we assign it to this furry creature that walks around and wants you to pet it probably doesn't really want to be on this show right now but there's no connection between those letters and that word and this actual creature and that's fine I'm not saying it's good or bad but it's just how it is in English but not all written characters are like that so Chinese characters can be complex and difficult but all of them can be divided into simple strokes so when we are writing the strokes we are building up the meaning of the word for example, this is a Chinese character. It pronounced as Ren, and it means a person. It looks like a person. See, it got two legs here. But when we add one more stroke here, it feels like the person opens his arm, and he's describing something huge. So this word means huge. And if we put one more stroke here, it looks like the huge got the limitation, got the top, and uh, that means the hugest thing in the world. And uh, the ancient Chinese people think that the biggest thing in the world is the sky. So this word means sky. Here we have an example where it seems like the appearance of these written characters are starting to be tied to the thing that they're describing, right? And we have these spiritual letters that Swedenborg describes that seem to take that ability to fully represent something to the next level. And the letters combined into one word forming a person's name include the entire state of what is named. This is one of the wonderful things of the spiritual world. Well, is it a little bit like that, you know, that name acronym thing people do? You got Fred and he's really great and he's friendly, really cool. He's a good guy, whatever D is, something. But spiritually, each letter, whatever they would actually look like, would contain a perfect description of a part of your essence. And so then in totality, in the sequence that they're in, they would spell out you. And the reason why we could be confident that your spiritual letters would end up expressing you is that spiritual words are a full expression of a concept. All spirits share a common language that flows from their thinking and is made up of concepts that are heard as words in the spiritual world. So a concept that's heard as a word. What I think that means is, think of the word movement. We see that and that gives us an idea of actual movement. 
and we can identify that in an example. But you could also say that this example, which is totally different, is movement as well. Any of these things are movement because they're all expressions of the concept behind movement. So even if you weren't looking at anything, you can kind of picture movement or you know what movement is that would qualify all those as renderings of it. So if you took that concept of what movement is and were able to speak that concept directly, that's an example of a, a spiritual word. So like the spiritual word for movement is an expression of its essence, the word for you is an expression of you. Isn't that true to an extent on earth too, right? We hear the name of somebody we know, it brings to mind the qualities that we know about them. So the name has an association with qualities for us, but it's an association with our particular opinion of that person. But things in the spiritual world are their essence. So you'd hear who someone really is and then react to that, not just your perception of them. So that on its own sounds cool. I feel like spiritual names sound cool, but how do I get one? Well, Swedenborg writes that arriving in a spiritual community, actually as part of the package, involves receiving a new name. There's a Native American tradition where a name based on meaning is given not just once to a person, but many times throughout their life. In the Native American naming tradition, names should change. Children receive names that are descriptive. They may be given new names at adolescence, and again as they go through life according to what their life experiences and accomplishments are. Society bestows a new name. A new name is earned. In other words, names should change as the individual changes. And even outside of that tradition, the names that we use for ourselves and others can change based on things like nicknames or titles. So for example, somebody might be called by their first name, but then decide they want to be called by their middle name. Or you could have a childhood nickname that works for a long time, but at some point you're like, no, I'm not Stevie, I'm Steve. And different people can be calling you different nicknames for different reasons. So thinking about it that way, it makes sense that in the spiritual world where everybody is discovering their truest, deepest self and moving into a new phase of life, that we would get a new name. In the spiritual world, people stop using all the names they were given in baptism in this world and the names they received from their parents or their family. All there are named for what they are like. Angels get a name that indicates the moral and spiritual life they have. We are what we love. Or to put it another way, what we care about the most determines our essence. And that also shapes the way that we see life or our level of wisdom. And when we come into community with other people, a name emerges that embodies who we are. People in the spiritual world do not have names the way we do in this physical world. Rather, each individual is named for her or his own love and wisdom. As soon as we enter a community or gathering of people, we are immediately given a name that expresses our nature. In the afterlife, we'll come into a community that feels like home in a way that we've never experienced before. New aspects of ourself will start to emerge and we'll be given a new name that fits us perfectly. So I had a sister named Annika who died when she was eight years old back in 1991. And this is my mom, Karen, telling a story about her and names. This is a painting done by Richard James Cook of my daughter, Annika. She died in 1991 at age eight in a car accident. And this is imagining her in the afterlife. And when she passed away, of course, we were sent into uh, agonizing grief. 
But a blessing in there was that my sister-in-law, also named Karen, was able to receive some visions of her in the afterlife and what she was doing there. And so she was able to tell me about that, which meant a whole lot to me. And Karen saw Annika being taken care of by angel parents, a mother and father, um, being educated with other girl, young girls by angel women who were their teachers. And there's one scene I'm gonna describe that has something to do with names in the afterlife. So Karen witnessed that Annika was dressed up as if for a special occasion and she entered this room with some other girls and in the room was a man, an angel man, uh, with this joyful look on his face. And he passed out to each girl a piece of paper and a writing utensil. And he said that today they were going to write on those papers their new name. And this just filled the girls with excitement. And so he would go around to each girl and lean down and softly into their ear would say their new name. And Karen said, each girl would just light up with happiness when they heard this new name and then would write it on the paper in big colorful letters. So he got to Annika and he leaned down and he looked right into her eyes and he said that Annika is a beautiful name and it will always remain yours. But today we're gonna add another name that tells something more about you. And that name is Amiona. And he said that Ami is a word that means the only one, and Ona means little girl. So this name, Amiona, means little girl who loves the only one. Then, uh, of course, Amiona was overjoyed about this. She wrote this name down on her paper, and then she walked out into this beautiful garden where there was another man, this one dressed in a white robe, standing next to a basin that had, a metal basin that had water in it, water that glowed with this beautiful heavenly glow. And this man also had just a look of joy on his face as she approached. And he took the paper and he put it on top of the water. And he said to her, um, this name, Amiona, is a sign that you'll now be learning how to become a part of God's heaven. And you'll have this name until you're grown up and fully come to dwell in your your home community in heaven and with your eternal partner, your married partner. And so then he gave her a bouquet of white flowers and a golden bracelet. So this was just a beautiful and joyful little ceremony that was a celebration, um, marking and acknowledging a new aspect of her life and of herself. So what about names? in the Bible. Well, when you think about it, the Bible has a lot of names in it. If you just had an index of all the names in there, it would be huge. Sometimes you get whole chapters where they're just genealogies that so-and-so was the child of so-and-so. And sometimes people's names change, and sometimes when a child is born, you learn the significance of the name and all that. So what's going on with all those names in the Bible? Well, Swedenborg's contention is that the whole Bible is about spiritual things, about spiritual realities, about God, about the spiritual world, the afterlife, and he is at pains to say that this is true of the names, particularly of the names. The names carry a tremendous amount of significance. That's why there are whole chapters of them. So what are those names doing in there? Well, let's look at this statement from Secrets of Heaven. When the Word says, 
so-and-so's name is, it means that the name involves something worth noting. Because frankly, knowing that so-and-so's name was this or that, it doesn't mean much all by itself. But what's worth noting then? To call someone by name is to recognize what the person is like. Not a single syllable appears in the word without a reason or without symbolizing some inner phenomenon. So that's very good news for all those genealogies. And Swedenborg follows up in another passage here. When people represent inner things, their character is irrelevant. Wow, you would think, I thought it was really talking about Jacob and that we need to know who Jacob was. No, he says, representation implies nothing about the person, only about the phenomenon represented. Okay, so what is going on when people get a new name, like notably Jacob wrestles with an angel and then he gets the name Israel, and yet the name Jacob hangs around and you hear both names after that, sometimes in the same verse. Well, what's going on with that when someone gets another name and then both names are used? Well, the name change represents a change in us that we go through, and the Bible is all inwardly about a change in heart and mind that we have to go through. Here's how Swedenborg explains it. In order to represent the church, Jacob simply had to be given a new name, and through it he had to be given a new character, symbolizing the inner spiritual self, or in other words, the inner spiritual church. This new character or quality is Israel. So the reason he needed that new name was because we're going deeper. Now it's going inward. And that is, uh, that is so important. That's why he gets the new name. That's why both hang around after that, because Israel then means this inner quality of spirituality, whereas Jacob means this outer quality. And sometimes when it says Israel, it means that inner quality. When it says Jacob, it means that outer quality. And that's a name, but sometimes the names are changed. That's a completely different name, Jacob to Israel. But sometimes the name is just changed by adding a single letter. You have this interesting case with Abram and Sarai who have their names changed to Abraham and Sarah. You can't hear it, but it has an H on the end now. So what was going on there? Well, Swedenborg explains, in the spiritual world, every alphabetic letter has some symbolic meaning. And a vowel, since it serves to provide tone, symbolizes something having to do with affection or love. Interesting, so the consonants that have sort of a harder, like a K sound or something, uh, that has to do with truth, whereas the vowels, ooh, ah, uh, they have to do with love, with feelings. From this origin springs spiritual and angelic speech. These are the building blocks of, of the way we communicate in heaven. And also, writing. They have writing in heaven. But this is a secret previously unknown. So what's going on with Abraham and Sarah that they get that additional H? Well, the H, uh, Swedenborg explains here, uh, represents something divine. Abraham, Abraham sorry, was about to represent the Lord, not simply the Lord, but the Lord's inner self. Again, there's something internal, a movement that's more internal or deeper. And therefore, his heavenly love. So his character had to be effaced first. That is, the name Abram had to take on a new character capable of representing the Lord. 
This is something that goes on with us to some extent when, as we go through our rebirth as well. As a result, the letter H was taken from Jehovah's name. In the original Tetragrammaton, two of the letters are this H, the He in Hebrew. And so that's where that H came from, Swedenborg explains, and it was inserted, and now he was called Abraham. The letter H is the only letter in Jehovah's name that involves divinity, and it means the I am, or being. Likewise, for Sarai, in a later verse, the same letter was added to her name, and she was called Sarah. So why they, Abraham and Sarah were husband and wife. What is going on there? Well, what's going on is this marriage that Swedenborg is saying is always going on in Scripture between love and wisdom, between goodness and truth, between faith and charity. And so both of these things are upgraded, and this is done just by the simple addition of one letter. How could that be? Well, here's something Swedenborg says about that. H involves infinity because it is simply an aspirate sound. It's just actually the breath itself, as if there was a breath of the divine that was added right into Abram's name to become Abraham and added into Sarai's name. She became Sarah with that breath in there. So in a certain way, that breath, the very being itself of the divine, you see something about the divine and the human coming together there in that very name. And you have two breathings in the name of Yahweh or Yahuwah or however you pronounce it. It has two haze in there. And that might be the in-breath and the out-breath. Everything we're experiencing as we're breathing is that divine life. And so there was more of that life in Abraham and in Sarah than there was in Abram and Sarai. And that brings us to the name or names of God. Aren't there a lot of names of God? What about that? So name of God, relatively important thing. And let's see if we can take these principles that we've been learning and use them to get some more insight into the nature of this divine mm. naming. So we talked about letters, and since every letter has a spiritual attribute to it, it's got to say something about the Lord when he's called the Alpha and the Omega in the book of Revelation. Oh, yeah. Would let's you, would you read that for passages. us? Sure. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And that's in the beginning of the book of Revelation. Then at the end, you see this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, that first and last and beginning and end is meaningful because uh, the Greek alphabet starts with the letter alpha. Alpha is actually a Greek letter. Okay. Omega is a letter. So interesting that they would pick out those letters as a name for God and to say, yeah. hey, here's the first letter. And so the beginning and the end, it's the first letter and the last letter. And that just didn't just happen that God is, is walking in and like, oh, I don't really have a good nickname. What uh, Alpha and Omega? Swedenborg says that there's tons of meaning in that. And actually, it goes back to a quote you already referenced in, in the section you were just mm. doing, but there's a little part before that is relevant to our current conversations. Mm. This is back to Apocalypse Revealed 29. The Lord is called the Alpha and the Omega because Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. Mm and they consequently symbolize all things in their entirety. Oh, everything in between. Yeah, so you get the beginning, you get the end, you've got yeah. everything in between there, right? Yeah, uh, I'm Mr. A to Z, as Jason Moran yeah, says. that's right. That is because in the spiritual world, every alphabetic letter has some symbolic meaning, mm. as you read, and a vowel, since it serves to provide tone, symbolizes something having to do with affection or love. So in that context, mm. what, what does that tell us about God? 
Yeah, well, it would mean, it's interesting that alpha is a vowel, omega is a vowel. And so, because vowels have to do with love, it's kind of God saying, I begin and end with love. That's the most important thing you need to know about me. And so, I am lovingly present everywhere. Like, my yeah. love is through the whole alphabet and the whole universe. It goes from just, okay, why are you telling me this name, TMI, I don't need to know this right now. By the way, you can call me this, to saying, this is a very powerful message of love and instruction and hope yeah. and faith that I'm giving to you right now. And so, in the spiritual world, every nuance of our character is reflected in the unique combination, as we were already saying, of letters and sounds that make up our name. So, for example, let's say that you have a, pers a person here who's a spirit in the spiritual world, and she has a, a name written in heavenly letters. That name would reflect her total essence and her character. What's unique, what she loves, what she understands, right. yeah. It might represent particular characteristics about her. We'll just do a little summary of what that could be, right? So we went over that, but now, um, since God has infinite qualities, and He's infinite, the name of God has got to reflect all those qualities, oh. right? What kind of a name, yeah, what name is going to hold everything, you yeah. know? The infinite qualities of God just couldn't be contained in just one string of letters. You know, yeah. earthy language is too limited. And that's no doubt why the Bible, just take the Bible, that, yeah. that tradition alone has over 900 different names, epithets, terms, you know, from the Judeo-Christian heritage. And then in Islam, you've got the 99 names of Allah, right? And the Baha'i faith has quite a list as well and add to that the names of the Creator from all these different world religions, and you get a whole lot of names. And those names have actually led to a lot of problems. I mean, these different names for God have been a huge point of contention and religious animosity mm. throughout history. Violence even, yeah, that's you, right. You, you know, despite the fact that everyone understands, oh, we all have a different name for water in our different languages. It's like, no, you call God that, I'm not down with that. Mm. And actually, Swedenborg comments on the root of this problem. Hmm. He says, the people of the ancient church did not take a name to mean a name, but the whole quality. So they took God's name to stand collectively for every means of worshiping God, and so for every expression of love and faith. Ah, the qualities of love and faith, that's what it was all about. When inward worship died out though, hmm. and only the shell remained, they started to view God's name as nothing more than a name, just that word, that, that characteristic so much that they worship the name itself, not caring what kind of love or faith inspired them. Ah, so when it became external, it wasn't so much about that quality, it's just those letters, that sound, you know, that's, that's what it is. Doesn't matter what you're like, or what your story is, or who you are, or what you do, say this like I say this it, This is or the else. name, yeah, right. Accordingly, the nations started to differentiate themselves by the names of their gods. Worship of a name alone is no worship at all. Mm. So it became Ow. tribal, it became an identity, and left behind the, the essence of what it was supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, and so if you're the people who call God this, and that's your identity, yeah. no wonder you fight with the people who call God that. It's a whole different thing. So looking, looking at things in an external way like that, where you divorce the meaning behind it and just get down to the, the outer world stuff, as we were saying, the arbitrary outer world stuff becomes what means something to you, that's always going to breed contention. So earthly, the earthly spoken or written name is part of the, exter the external 
carrier for the actual meaning of the name of God. Yes, right. But if you look in deeper ways, you find that unity because that love is universal. I mean, doesn't doesn't everybody at some level think that God is is love? Yeah, uh, that's what you get. Whatever you call it, and you're having you that know, experience. That's the real name. Is that love that's in there? The wisdom, the mercy, yeah. the omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence, all that. And whoever, you know, somebody else from another religion or culture on the other side of the world, they're still experiencing love. They're still working on humility and all these things. Like the, it's in both places. And they have that prayer and that sense of intimacy. You know, yeah. that's right there. And it's not, it's not different because of the name. Yeah, so worshiping the qualities represented by the names of God can help us realize that we're all actually worshiping the same divine person. Yeah, if you could rise up, it would, because so much bloodshed, so much warfare over these names. Yeah. But if you got, oh, we're talking about love, we're talking about mercy and and so on, truth and important things like that. Yeah. Uh, We'd get over all that, wouldn't we? It's about going from the name to the spiritual meaning of the name, which is what the whole show is about. If we can do that with God, a lot of good would happen. And we'll give you an example of just what we mean about the qualities in the name right here. One person can be called by many different names depending on their function, their characteristics, or their relationships. For example, you take our friend Cara Dahlman here. People call her different things depending on what the situation is and who's talking to her. In the same way, the one God can be called many different names by different groups because each group is trying to relate to and connect with God in a particular way. And we see too that words that describe good and true qualities can actually be names of God because God is the source of goodness and truth. That's why this prophecy in Isaiah gives descriptive words as names, because those names are qualities and ways that God can be active in our lives. So with all that, what is the true significance of the name of God? The name of God means every characteristic we worship in God. God has and is his own character. His essence is divine love, and therefore his character is the divine truth united with divine goodness. God's character is multifaceted because it includes all the things that God does. To have a relationship with somebody, yeah, you want to know their name, but what you really want to know are their qualities. What do they do? How do they operate? What do they care about? What's important in their life? That's important for people-to-people relationships, but anything that's true about relationships between human beings is also true of our relationship with God. So the names that cultures have given throughout history, these descriptive names full of meaning, reflect the spiritual reality. And because of the nature of spiritual language, things can be described there with total precision, and not just things, us. There's a spiritual name for you, one that totally encapsulates the essence of who you are. And names can be even more. They allow us to understand spiritual concepts and sacred texts, and even tell us something about the nature of God. And I guess that even though our physical names don't necessarily match our personality exactly, we can work to develop our character and our impact on people, and through that, affect what our name means to people. Hopefully we can have it so that when people in this world think about our name, because of the kind of person that we've been to them, they get this loving, friendly, spiritual picture in their minds along with it.